Right, so this week with Kevin Rye from Think Fan Engagement, I'm really glad he could join us. I mean, it's kind of a prescient time for thinking about fan engagement um, uh, when uh, your fans storm the stadium and get a game called off. Fan engagement has gone a bit wrong. So, um, Kevin, uh, great pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> so, look, um, let's uh, let's get into to what Think Fan Engagement is first and a little bit about your background. You spent a long time with Supporters Direct, so, you know, deep in the world of of working with fans and understanding fan culture and, and uh, supporting now, supporting clubs and fans uh, do it a bit better. So, yeah. Mm. So me, yeah, I mean, I'm very much kind of um, uh, uh, what some some might call an activist PR in the trade. It's a it's a known term. It's people like me who who've kind of been out there um, experiencing the organisation as a user, as a in this case a fan, you know, um, at my club, and I came, um, you know, nose to nose with the worst excesses of bad ownership as a Wimbledon fan um, and that's where I became involved um, with the campaign to try to stop the franchising in Wimbledon which isn't something we succeeded in sadly but uh, the results aren't bad obviously fan owned up the division six promotions whatever it was in you know however many years a ridiculous journey again it's something we seem to like to do at Wimbledon we like a challenge back at Plough Lane but I got taken on within a couple of years of finishing in 2000, uh, finishing that in 2002. I ceased my involvement in anything formally to do with um, Wimbledon um, uh, in that sense, uh, although I dipped in and, and out since then. Um, I just got on with being a fan like any, everyone else did. But a couple of years later, Dave Boyle, who was acting managing director at the time, a supporters director, asked me to come and work for, I think it was a three-month contract, maybe a six-month contract, and I stayed for 11 and a half years. Um, and learned an awful lot about uh, the relationship between clubs and fans beyond just mine. Um, you know, being, and I do see it as a privilege of being able to travel across the country and then across Europe, uh, meeting with loads of different people from, you know, the smallest clubs to uh, the smallest groups of fans to the most active and organised um, biggest groups. And, you know, towards the end of my time, supporters direct spending a lot more time with clubs governing bodies politicians the people trying to influence the direction of the game um and also actually being there and being part of uh, i think the trigger to much more organized fandom across a much wider uh group of fans in english football when uh, i mean man united through shareholders united and then man, the man united yeah. trust yes had always been um an, an active part of that movement of the trust movement but um once spirit of shankley at liverpool eventually were able to come on board it was to do with really one organization per club and the politics meant we well it wasn't wasn't politics it was the organization meant we couldn't take on sos as a member for a while but once they came on board um along with the likes of spurs and chelsea and arsenal um it it what it meant was that you were getting the big the the, the the big clubs, so-called um, groups of fans, not just being there, but working across, you know, county lines, as it were, and and okay. you know, and that for me was was a, a very special time, very enjoyable, very exciting, um, and leaving in 2015, um, I kind of muddled around the world of um, consulting. Found, to be honest, it wasn't such a great um, place to operate in, and the reason really was simply that. I put it in the terms of language and dialect is that 
clubs could understand a lot of what I said, but couldn't understand me in full um, because they didn't speak that language, if you like. And they, they didn't do that because it just wasn't the, the, the way that they did fan engage, the way they did support relations, if you like, at the time. Okay. Eng- engagement was something that was just not really the same as I regarded as it, it, it that it should be um, or was best practiced. So I kind of eventually settled on this idea of the fan engagement index as a way of defining it, of categorising it, of understanding it, um, and also seizing the term because I'm sick to death of hearing, I was sick to death of hearing fan engagement being spoken as buy this app, um, analyse data in this way, and you solved your problems. You never solve your problem. It's a relationship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Manchester United being a case in point, they think fan engagement, well, in fact, they talk about it on the investor calls all the time. Um, they talk about it in terms of clicks and views and yeah. downloads yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. media consumption, which is a very different thing. They're expressions of, you know, look, those things are are a part of it. They're a part of the sequence of, of the practice of the relationship. Of course they are. But for me... Um, and it's you know I'm doing I'm, I'm I'm not doing a disservice to my um, some of my friends and also colleagues in what I do um, like Tim Crow who does a podcast with me who who are marketing experts but I think I'm afraid that marketing seized far too much of control over what engagement was about and it became far too much about a sort of a drive towards monetization and the expression the 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 the, the practice of it in a very practical sense and the sale of something. And those things happen at the end of a relationship. And I don't have a problem with talking in terms of clubs being a business. What I have a problem with is people not understanding the type of business it is. And it's a very special one. And that's why, hence, yeah. what I do. <laughs> okay. And so um, you published something called the Fan Engagement Index, which is, you know, a very easy way of sort of looking at and viewing and measuring engagement. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, and then I want to get onto what best practice looks mm. like, and, mm. and perhaps talk about some of the the, the leaders in that table mm. that you produce. Yeah. So um, as I said, it was about kind of creating a common understanding of what engagement is, what fan engagement is, um, and um, in its, its in its own sense, it's a, it's what I would call a positive disruptor. It's meant to shake things up a bit, get us all thinking a bit more clearly about what we what we're after. Um, it focuses on three areas of dialogue, transparency and governance, which are slightly sort of, they are slightly doughy terms at times. You know, they're a little bit, um, um, uh, you know, academic sounding, if you like. Um, and I don't like being too farty about it, but you have to be sometimes. You have to be a little bit, you know, you have to say, right, we have to set some professional standards. So I use I used those those terms because they're the terms that we used at Supporters Direct. Um and and which also I'd add that the successor organisation because SD no longer exists, uh, the FSA, you know they will use those terms as well. So anyway, dialogue being the the, the methods of um, uh, having those relationships either with individual fans through big fans forums and big open meetings or online through help channels, which quite a lot of clubs have, um, Twitter help channels. Um, then you might have the type of thing you've got, which I think is the fans forum at Man United. Well, look, in, yeah. In, yeah, in terms of the, the 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 terminology, look, a fans forum tends to be the big big organize the big organized meetings for any fan to come to. Um, fans parliaments are what really is what the fans forum at Man United is. Then you've got the close one to one relationships, um, where you might have board to board the Spurs Trust will meeting. Spurs, uh, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, the board of that, and the chief executive and the senior uh, operators, uh, and then you you um, uh, you you might then 
go right to the top of it and you might have um, that being expressed through um, a much more formalised arrangement. This is where you then get into the governance and all governance is about is underpinning it. And what I've done with that is I've taken things like supporter directors um, or supporter representatives, what we call a customer charter, um, support liaison officer. Uh, and those are things and in those first two categories, the dialogue and the governance areas, those are things that have been mandated by football. So what I'm doing is saying, okay. yeah, so you've you've determined through various re- means that these things are important, that these are recognised as good ways of having dialogue or underpinning dialogue and making the relationships work. I'm just going to hold up a mirror. So I'm not creating something that doesn't already exist or using measurements that aren't recognised. Yeah. Okay. And and presumably you have some kind of liaison with supporters' trusts and and um, no. and no no and no. and clubs to get the information or is it no. all independent? No. Okay. No. The whole. I mean, the whole. Uh, I say the final category of transparency is about you know one of the biggest problems is, is clubs don't publish what goes on. Uh, in, in which case, why the hell are you having the meetings? Because the fans don't understand whether or not anything's happening um so no what i do is essentially really mirror the journey of a fan if i want to find out what's going on at my own club i look on the internet don't i i i, I yeah I, I find a website um and i try to find out well what, what's happening who represents me where can i find out what's been going on how can i get out can, what about the slo sport liaison officer um so no it's it is intentionally done that way um yeah because also um, if you're going to disrupt in that way, in a very po- it is, as I said, I think it's a very positive way, and it's been proven to be that. Then, um, if you go telling people that you're about to do that, um, then you've given them the heads up, and I don't think that's fair. And, I, and it's the same for my club. It's the same for the, you know, it's same for every single club. You know, I use the same methodology because I don't want it to be unfair on Man United, and I, and I don't want it to be unfair on Exeter City. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. But do, you, uh, that- do you ever get any pushback? Uh, oh yeah, I mean, in the first year, um, um, you know, you can go and see the BBC story. I broke, we, I, I broke it with the BBC both times, um, and the the first year, I think the EFL particularly struggled um, with someone external, you know. And I would, I would like to think I'm an expert in the field, but someone external saying that some of your clubs are not doing very well. Um, I think they, I think they've realised there's no point being. You know, outwardly, I'm afraid it did come across as a bit thin-skinned. Um, but you know, my view is that if you're good, you've got nothing to worry about. If you're bad, then you've got something to worry about. So, you know, but no, I mean, really, especially now with the fan-led review of governance that's going on in English football, um, it, I think it. You know, well, I, I don't think you know there has been an embrace of it and an understanding that that, that what I'm trying to do um is to work with everyone to improve this and i work with clubs as equally as i do with fans i still have excellent relationships with a lot of the activists and i have excellent relationship with a lot of the people running football clubs so you know my 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 view is is i'm if i'm going to try and build you know help to build the bridges then i need to be like that and i need to be even-handed and i will sometimes not you know not be entirely positive about what some organized fan organizations are doing it depends so Exeter came top, I think, in the last index, if I'm right in yeah. saying. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, let's use them as a model for best practice then. So so what are Exeter doing right that some other clubs, you know, in, in the northwest with large football grounds <laughs> and very little engagement are doing wrong? Well, look, I mean, the first thing that's important to note that with the with the index is a snapshot, right? Um, I was reticent about a table. My, my colleague and expert in this in this sort of field in other businesses who helped me put this scoring system together, Ollie Holtaway, 
you know, he kind of put his foot down and said, you really do need to have a table. It's the thing that's going to really appeal. People are going to be able to understand much more through data in that way. Um, but, the, you know, Exeter, look, I mean, Exeter are owned in a very particular way. So, yes, they score better partly because of that. But one of the things to note is that in the top 10, there are a good number of clubs that are fully privately owned or, or, or very majority privately owned. And I'm talking sort of more than 75.1%. 75% plus one share. So really, they're, they're, they're fully privately owned. And they do well too. And the reason that X, I can say that, look, you can you can look at Exeter and you can look at Norwich, you can look at even Everton, a bit further down the table, is because they have good ways of listening. They're, they're, um, they, um, they have ways of, of listening to what fans have to say. Um, and, and in the best cases, in the case of someone like Exeter, lots of ways of doing it. So it's not just, here's your fans' parliament, we'll listen to you and, and that'll do. It's, we'll listen to you there. They obviously, you know, have directors on the board. Um, they do fans' forums. They listen to organised, um, a, a group of organised fan organisations in a sort of parliament as well. Um, they And then they have an SLO channel where they listen that way. Um, and I do emphasise the listening because a lot of it is about that. Um, and, and hearing and listening to things you don't want to hear sometimes because that is what, good leadership is about it's about listening to absorbing things that aren't um aren't necessarily people saying aren't you brilliant and actually the best yeah. leaders do that it's just and, and the thing is that always always struck me about you know some of the bad practices with fan engagement is you know even if clubs want to think of us fans as just purely customers i, I mean you know good customer relations can still be good engagement, can't it? Look, I mean, you want to keep your customers happy because you keep coming back. Exactly. I mean, look, I, I, you know, I think you can, you can. That's entirely true. I mean, and actually, part of part of my view on this is that look, we shouldn't be shy in saying that fans are sometimes customers. I don't, I don't buy this relentless nonsense about I'm not a customer. You are. You're purchasing stuff, right? There are times when you're going to go into a shop. A club shop and buy a shirt. If someone sells you an Everton shirt and you go into the Man United shop or sells you a shirt that's got the crest on the wrong side, or you know, you're going to act as a customer because that's part of your relationship. The point is, is that what informs my act as a customer, what makes me a customer in that sense, is is something that's not even you can't really describe it as love. It's in, it's almost insanity because you keep going. Right. Yeah, you keep going back even when you're crap, right? Or all, 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 you know, all these fans of Man United who carried on going when the club got relegated in the 70s or, the, or you know, likewise at other clubs. This is something that's normal. When you're tight, when you're not doing well, why are you going back? So, you know, the key is the balance. And coming back to the sort of best practice, the best ones are the ones that understand that. You know, there are so many, uh, you know, and I might add that because the nature of the snapshot um, means that you might have a club like Brighton, say, who don't perform that well in the table, but culturally get it. And it's woven in, and you know, it's woven into a lot of what they do. So the thing about them, for example, is you look at them and go, well, what, you know, you, you're, you're not doing very well in the table. Yes, but the thing is, the thing about that is, if you listen to the fan engagement pod and Paul Barber on there, for example, um, he absolutely understands the job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he understands, and there's some things that he does that you know, there's, I know, there's a whole row, row that emerges from time to time about flasks. That I, I understand why that's happening. Um, and we don't need to go into it, but it's you know it's complicated and it's there's it, a lot of health and safety issues there, and 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 you have to make decisions, and and they might not always be the right ones. But when it comes to it, culturally they get that uh, relationship and they understand it. 
And, um, you know, that's the other part is that going out and looking at what's working isn't necessarily always expressed in a table. Um, and, and, and But a lot of the time, yeah, the best performing ones are going to be, they're locking it in, they're making it permanent. So they're saying, yeah, well, it's cultural, but what we need to acknowledge is that if we don't own the club anymore, it's still the same football club and it still requires, right. yeah, it still requires that structure. And that's, for me, is one of the most important lessons is, is that's why it's not about fan ownership. Although I've always been very clear that I regard fan ownership as a superior model, um, it isn't going to happen anytime soon. So stop sitting around waiting for it or even trying to prosecute. If you want to prosecute that as a fan, try to make that happen. Fine. Even a bit of fan ownership, fine. But you've got to make, if you want to make it even possible, then it's in your interest to make your club better at engagement anyway. Because there's a cultural problem in English football where clubs haven't historically appreciated that relationship. And that's what yeah. a lot of this fan engagement index is really about. No, that, that's right. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's a, a binary uh, relation, a binary thing when it comes to fan ownership, that it's, it's all fans or no fans. Yeah. Um, and we've obviously had that conversation at, at United for many years now. I mean, since um, Must or it was called Shareholders United before that um, was formed. And, and uh, you know, I, know many of those guys obviously and and uh, kind of you know instinctively support um the idea of fan ownership but uh, you know united three billion dollar corporation yeah. whatever it is these days yeah. it's not going to happen um anytime soon for sure i mean do you do you, you mentioned um tracy crouch's fan-led review uh, do you feel optimistic about uh, what that might bring she's certainly quite bullish you know she's saying regulation is going to happen there will be a regulator it's just what the scope is that's uh, I mean, under debate now. Yeah. I, I, look, I mean, I think it helped when Tracy Crouch was appointed um, because she is someone who has credibility. She's, you know, she isn't just, um, you know, in these sorts of situations, you end up with a, you know, with a talk with, 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 with just, you know, someone who's, who's not going to cause too much, too many ripples in the pond. Um, so it's good that she's been appointed. Yeah, questions about some of the people, the people you know, who have been appointed to the to the to the panel, to the people who are, who are leading the review. They're not fans. Yeah, I you know I I understand all that. The thing I think with this having, you know, maybe quite to call myself a veteran. Well, maybe I would of you know countless reviews, formal and informal, in the game, contributing and helping to contribute to them, and dealing with a lot of politicians, good and bad on this. Is don't invest it all in that anyway. I mean, look. I think it's a good thing, you know, we absolutely need better regulation, smarter regulation, whatever you want to call it. We need more regulation. Um, clubs are not free trading enterprises um, at no point, although obviously with one exception, and I'm not going to go into it because it's very personal to me, you know, you can't just move a club around like a normal business. It's just not what happens, right? Um, uh, so um, they are, you know, local monopolies operating in, um, closed leagues, closed federations of businesses, you know, you don't get that kind of monopolistic position and and just be allowed to do what you want. So we're going to have to have some change. We're going to have to have some appreciation of the cultural significance and difference of football clubs versus other organisations. Um, and you're going to have to have some proper locked-in fan involvement in, in, the, in the running, I think, of football. Uh, but I also think, you know, and, I, and you might say I'm bound to say it, I think... There's been a chasing after um, this will solve it, that will solve it. Um, and sometimes that's because 
yeah, look, overall, some form of fan involvement actually will solve a lot of quite a lot of problems because they'll force clubs to have to listen and you'll, that will shift culture. But also, I think sometimes, you know, at United, share ownership has been a big thing for a long time because of the activism of shareholders United because of the opposition of Murdoch's takeover. I get that. Yeah. It's slightly different at different clubs. Arsenal, it's a similar situation, I think. You know, um, but that isn't necessarily the case in others. Um, so what you've got to have, I think, is also some measurement of what works. And so, you know, what I do is try to create that. So if what we can have is a combination of forcing the game to be more transparent and open in a meaningful way and not just words, <laughs> you know, and then some structural changes, then I think what we what that will help to do is to open up to is you know what is a very active and highly organised movement of fans that's been there that we you know we we help to create that at supporters direct and right. I think you know the legacy of our work is now there of these massively organised groups of you know people like Duncan and and colleagues yeah. at, at, at Must doing what they do and and that dedication and it will allow them to to take a much more active role. And I think that's good, you know, and, and it will mean they have to carry responsibility. But I think a lot of those groups, A, want it and B, can cope with it. So, yeah, you know? I mean, I do think that the professional the professionalism around organisation of some of these groups is is impressive and um, the ability to, to activate a fan base very quickly um, we've seen over time. I mean, at, at different points, shareholders United very effective, and then um, in 2010, after the bonds were issued there was a, and the green and gold protests, you'll remember they were um, very active in you know bringing that to fans and getting the fans protest um, in the stadium and in the media. Um, most recently, I mean, um, I d- must clearly didn't organise the storming of Old Trafford. That was uh, some other fellas, um, but um, you know, it, it's the legacy of engagement is sort of seen there. I, I am, you know, I, I don't think it's healthy for that to happen too often, but it definitely sent a message. Look, so. I, I, look, I mean, I think, you know, the position is often condemn it, condemn it. Well, look, of course, I'm never going to personally, I'm never going to advocate people invading pitches, especially during, pan, you know, global pandemics. Right. The question for me is, is let's roll this back. Right. Forget the fact that a pitch was invaded in that in in those circumstances. The the, the, the fact of the matter is is that fans are angry anyway. Um, that doesn't yeah. that pitch invasion and those actions don't suddenly and I don't think anyone's really arguing that doesn't suddenly mean that opposition to something that was deeply irresponsible on the part of those clubs who took part in it um, is suddenly okay. That, that's we've had a tendency to think like that sometimes in this country. I think in England, in in the UK, is well, just because you did something wrong, therefore that means everything you said about this is is now wrong. No, 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 no. We need to deal with the root root problem, right? Disconnection, it's disconnection, really. And I and I take a view that it's not it's not that the Glazers are, 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 you know live in the US. It's not that they're American. It's that they're disconnected. I point oh, sure. very often. Yeah, I point very often to Cambridge United. He's a UK. Um, he was. I, I don't know if he's a US citizen. I think he is. But their owner now now owns all the shares. Paul Barry and has been a, a majority owner for a long time. He lived in the US for years. He's not disconnected. The reason that Cambridge United perform as well as they do in in the fan engagement index, and they've got they've got a supporter director. They've got all sorts of mechanisms for listening. Is because he's connected. And and the reason that Liverpool, Man United, Spurs, the reason that Juventus and um, and Barcelona and you know Real Madrid 
um, did what they did was because they were disconnected. And I might add in the case, obviously, of Madrid and, and Barcelona, shamelessly fan-owned. For sure, yeah. And, and still behaved as though it was theirs to do with what they wanted. Now, for me, this is the question is, are you connected? What's going to make you more connected as an owner? And a lot of the time it's going to be, listen to these people. And you know what, for me, is there's, it, yeah, I get it's a ball ache sometimes. But the ones I speak to, the, the clubs I, I speak to who who do this well, whether it's a Norwich or an Everton or whether it's a Lincoln or a Doncaster or an Exeter or wherever, is actually there's an enjoyment in it. And what you get into is a sort of cultural appreciation of it and that actually it helps you to deal with, you know, it, it, it helps you to deal with the difficult times as well. It doesn't mean that everyone enjoys a 3-0 spanking all of a sudden, but it does mean that you can manage those moments on the pitch that don't work out so well, like Norwich getting relegated much easier. You don't end up with people outside, you know, Carrow Road or Old Trafford in your case, with placards demanding the resignation of the board or the manager. Yeah, people will grumble. You might screw up. But what it allows you to do is to is for people to understand what you're doing more clearly. They understand the strategy. This idea that strategy has to be hidden in a boardroom is one of the biggest pieces of nonsense peddled in football. And that somehow if we're letting everyone know what we're doing, we're going to get beaten every week. You know, people have hidden commercial strategies for you. They won't share information because of this nonsense idea that somehow you're giving your opponents an advantage. Compete on the pitch. Stop tying your laces together off it. Start working with your fans and collaborating more with them. Because that's now also an expectation as well, more broadly in society. Um, I mean, I, I think so actually, and and um, again, again, coming back to different markets, um, there is a there is a different expectation from. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm mid forties, so I'm turning turning into an old man now. But um, amongst the younger generation, that um, there is more collaboration between brands or or uh, companies, and they, uh, you know, I think that's that's true for sure. You know, and although football populations are getting old too because it's bloody expensive look, to go, so. it's worth pointing out as well that um, it, you know, again, just emphasising this all the time is that this idea that was peddled that younger fans are disconnected, they can't cope with more than twenty five minutes of, you know, that that was just the realms of the ridiculous. By the time Perez was talking about that, yes, but if you go out and look. You know, younger people, young people, look, I'm in my late 40s, young people are really connected. Um, and there is, there is, whether you like it or not, as an owner of a business, there is an expectation that you as a, as a business, you as something I care about, are going to have to be much more responsive to me. We've come through a period, you know, we have changed, we are going to change more. You know, that transparency that you sort of think means um, that you just do loads of bants and and pitches from the training ground. Well, look, yeah, to some extent that's true, but it does mean you're going to have to open yourself up a bit more. And and as I say, in the end, it's going to do you good. Um, You know, ultimately, though, if, if it's something you're deeply uncomfortable with, go and buy a shoe shop. You know, go and buy a leisure centre. Go and work in something completely different because it's, you know, this is where it's going. And and also, I also get that it's a big change and people are a bit fearful of it. Um, and and it's going to mean that those fans who, who are privileged to be able to hold positions of responsibility representing other fans um, and, and individuals who get much more of a, an insight into what's going on because, you know, like the global transparency is important, the overall transparency to all fans, not just running it all through one 
process. They're going to have to take on more responsibility too, but they will. And, you know, they'll have to sign agreements not to not to um, let certain information out. But I don't know anywhere where that's really ever been a problem because once right. they're in there, yeah, the fans are, you know, they will take an immense responsibility on their shoulders, but they will also be immensely respectful because it's an institution they love and adore as well. And it hurts a lot of fans to have to, you know, put their clubs under this kind of scrutiny. They don't yeah. want to do that, in my experience. You know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, as uh, Boris Johnson once said. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that I, I think we should hold him up as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. as an example here. I think, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, look, I, I I agree. I think fans. Uh, there's no reason why fans can't be professional and responsible in their um, in their duties if they end up in in uh, board positions or liaison positions or something. You know, I mean. Um, you know, as a United fan, I'm obviously not that optimistic. There's been a lot of sort of PR after the Super League disaster. Um, you know, an interview with Joel Glazer, something published on the uh, the website. We had the PR sort of absolutely shamelessly spouting lies for three minutes in a broadcast interview. Um, and then in the midst of all that, they still took a dividend. And um, it just, you know, I mean, hey, they own the business, they can, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seemed to be the, the the a big, big red flag that they still don't get it. Look, I mean, but, but public relations is my sort of um, profession. Um, it's it's what I've, you know, it's what I've uh, done my, I've done a diploma in public relations. I very much am a PR. Um, I don't regard a PR as someone who does, um, you know, who, who's there to spin or, you know, it's not a media relations role. It's about managing the organisation's reputation with the people who care about it the most, particularly in, right. in in football. And if what your aim is is to is to understand PR communications um, as something which is about deflection and managing um, crises, which ultimately are being self-inflicted because you're doing things that, you know, you think are fine but self-evidently don't go down very well with the people who are the most, you know, vocal critics um, or are going to be the most vocal critics. Well, take a look at your strategy, man. But, you know, this is partly down to different businesses, different business um, cultures clashing. But as I said, in the end, if you don't want the discomfort that you're going to get from making, you know, decisions like that, you know, go and own something else. But I think these people are not, you know, these people are not stupid. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, this is a, you're talking about a tanker in football. You know, cl- clubs were originally, as Dave Conn will say, you know, were originally members clubs. Yes, they were, you know. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them still are um, um, outside of outside of uh, the top four divisions. Um, but they have become the preserve of one individual, usually, usually a bloke um, who owns something else and feels like he's got the right to do whatever he wants. Yeah. And that may well have worked because actually locally, you know, it was literally in the case of Man United, wasn't it? The butcher. Um, you well, know, it was uh, it was the railway workers um, yeah. association well, it, first, and then the butcher. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking it was the you know in the in the you know you, the private the era of private ownership. Yeah, Louis Edwards. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, these people, they were there. You know, the social roots and all that kind of stuff and community and society. It was all very different. But look. Just because all of that has shifted and we've gone through 20, 30 years where it's all been very, very different and we've got, you know, these huge, apparently huge enterprises, you know, really they're only supermarkets compared to the massive hypermarkets of, 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 yep. of you know, of the truly big firms. Um, they are still root, they are still rooted institutions and clubs still want that 
in how they talk about themselves. You know, Man United still wants to be a Manchester club. It still understands or wants to be seen as understanding that. So look, if you're going to do that, understand that those things have consequences and that it might mean that your ability to take a dividend or make a decision that actually might be okay if it was your own private company is different to what you can do with a club, which whether or not you like it is morally you know, in the possession of generations of Mancunians and other and other people who've fallen in love with that club. There's a, there's that old Seinfeld joke um, that he says, um, you know, what what is being a supporter anyway? Uh, clubs move cities. I mean, uh, sadly, in the case of Wimbledon, they do move cities and, and much more often in the States. Um, and they change owners, they build new stadiums uh, and the players change all the time and the coach does. So what are we really supporting? It's the shirt. Um, that's the only thing that stays constant. But the re- I mean, it's a good joke, but the reality is the thing that stays constant is the community and the fans. Um, and um, it's a cliche, but, you know, what is football with well that's it exactly look you that's what you're buying and and the fact that someone's managed to to spin a yarn that actually these are glo- you know these are global brands that um you know that you can that you can sort of take around the world uh and you can get cust you can get um fans in china well that doesn't mean it's necessarily true um that that's going to you know and or that that's going to that's not going to change what the club actually is in the end. So that's No, it shouldn't be. Yeah. No, well, well, you know, it won't because that tension will always be there if you don't resolve it. And the way you resolve it is by making, is by understanding that the reason that the people in China are so attracted to club A, B or C is because of what that club actually is and what it means and the, and, and the geographical location and the culture around it and the fan culture and you know, it's crest and where that comes from and the fact that, you know, all the stories that we have and, and the Newton Heath Railway workers and all of that stuff, you know, the green and gold that was there for that period, which is celebrating the roots of the football club. Don't use that stuff if you can't appreciate there's going to be an impact because that is expressing the roots of the football club. So all we're doing is coming back. I don't have a problem with people making money out of football. If they're running the business sensibly and they understand what it's about and what it really is and what it really means to people. If what they do is pretend it's something else, that's where you're coming a cropper. Yeah, I I had an interesting conversation once um, with uh, the then head of um, digital for the NBA, um, who do a fantastic job with their media proposition, you know, the access, um, the type of content, their full production house, their second market is China, they've had some... um, interesting relationships if you've been following any of that with with China um but um but they did really well and and the theory behind that was exactly as you're saying look the club's there the club's got its fans they'll engage on a local level um but 99.9% of NBA fans will never get to a game so how do we make sure that we get everyone else involved too and I, you know your last podcast um was on what does it mean to be an overseas fan um as listeners know, I, I've now moved. Um, so, you know, there is a small supporters club of Manchester United fans here. It's, a, it's an interesting mix of expats and locals um, who get together to watch games. There's a small community. It's it's different. It's not like going to Old Trafford. Um, um, but, uh, you know, none of that, as you're saying, um, should change what the club is locally no, and how it engages but- with local fans. And, um, you know... Uh, Hey, Manchester United aren't suddenly going to get be getting good at this. They're still going to think of themselves as a a media company that just happens to play football now and again. Um, 
but you know, I, I'm hoping like it, 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 they they just like what we've seen post Super League um, is an absolute expression that you know on the surface they might say some stuff, but deep down they they're going to be resistant to any kind of change. But, uh, uh, but so, yeah, but I think a lot of clubs are going to be. Um, so no, I mean no, my message is, is is embrace it because you know you you're, you're not going to find any more reliable custom than you will get with a club, and. Um, Secondly, you're going to, it's going to be a ball lake if you don't, you know, ensure that you're doing it in a sort of full, full throated um, way. Be, you know, be understanding of that. I mean, the one thing about, um, you know, having international fans is one thing. Appreciating that that doesn't mean you can go off and play league games there. That's one thing you're going to have to understand. You know, that whole silly nonsense of the 39th game mm-hmm. was rightly binned, and you know, we were involved in helping to do that alongside other organisations at the time at SD. Um, appreciate that there, you know, you're not going to be able to play a league game on Mars, right? It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to start playing league games in China. This is what, you know, this is. I'm afraid this is partly what you know what a football club means. Sometimes there are things, some things you cannot do and should not be doing, and the idea that somehow football needs to have that to make it better or to make it more appealing. Well, do you know what? As I said, go and buy something else. If you can't cope with what a club is, buy something else. But as I said, it's also reasonable to expect football clubs to be able to make money and to to be able to sign the right kinds of deals to sweat the asset. So let's it's it's in the end it's about understanding, you know, this isn't some kind of hippie lecture about, you know, love each other because there's tension in this relationship and always right. will be. But the listening helps to reduce that tension and incorporating people into the way you make decisions and getting people to understand why you're doing things. It's, it's going to do you good in the long run. And it's a good thing to do for the business that it is. There's an influx of private capital into. I mean, you know, there has been, as you mentioned, you know, lots of lots of new owners over the last 20, 30 years. Um, but the one thing that's been sort of uh, changed recently is private equity groups, um, you know, who manage money on behalf of other usually you know wealthy individuals or institutions and and burnley's been bought out leveraged buyout so you know looking at that as right. a big red flag yeah. um so so was lille in france and and others around uh, roma others around europe as well and and you know what what are your thoughts on that i mean um do, do you think uh these groups i mean they're bringing money into the game in theory um, it's only in theory with yeah. burnley um mm. are they going to engage uh, do they care uh, it's a good question. I mean, you know, the the, the the issue in in English football is that when you buy the club, you 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 effectively have a vote on the regulation of yourself, and that's and that's a problem. Whether you believe in independent regulation or what you might call a sort of multi-stakeholder model, where it remains in the in the confines of the environment we have now. So I'm kind of hinting at what goes what might come out of the end of the the review, uh, the fan-led review. But I mean, certainly, I you know I you know what I do isn't there to have a view on ownership. But from a personal perspective, it worries me deeply, um, and I don't think leverage buyouts should be permitted. No, I think that's I think that's you know the, the model work. Well, it doesn't work. That's the problem. Is is that there are plenty of cases in all sorts of areas of business where it doesn't work because it's basically kind of an experiment to see if you can grow the grow the business. And the problem you've got with a football club is that it has limits to its business because it's a football club. So you know, personally speaking, I mean, I would be making sure. That I, you know, I think things like stadia just have to be removed from the equation completely. You know, it used to be the case until 
early 2000s when Douglas Craig at York City removed the ownership of, York, of Booth and Crescent from the football club and kind of said, I dare you to, to pull me up on it because there was a rule that prevented it. And that rule didn't get um, implemented and he, had kept, he, he was able to do what he was doing. That fell away. That then meant that football clubs sat on vast property assets and have you know having a designated you know asset of community value like Old Trafford or or Anfield, that isn't really much protection. I'm afraid all that is is a right to bid for an asset if it comes up. What you need to do is football just needs to understand where's the where does the value lie, and quite often it's in the it's in it can be in the property assets. So lock those away. Start to remove some of the reasons that all sorts of speculators, good and bad, get involved. Reduce that risk then what you do is you reduce the chances of the wrong type of speculators coming in. And then if people do want to speculate, you know, reduce the ability to leverage against the asset, against the football club itself. So, I, you know, I don't think you ban certain types of owner. And I don't, I'm not so convinced, for example, of having patrimony handed to a golden share in, in the football club and saying that clubs, um, you know, that, that they protect themselves by saying the supporters' trust has a right of veto. Remove you could have that, but remove some of the the, the things of value. Um, you know, remove things like the property asset. Re- reduce the the opportunity to to speculate because if if we acknowledge that football clubs are special institutions that are monopoly businesses within an environment which is a monopoly in itself, then we can't treat them as ordinary businesses. Therefore, we should be regulating and and removing yeah. the opportunity to 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 mess up that that delicate ecosystem we've got. Yeah, I, I know, and it, and it may seem um, it may seem sort of harmless and financial shen- shenanigans. Um, what's happened at Sheffield Wednesday in Derby, where they've, you know, the owner has sold the the ground to himself, but that can have long term consequences, of, as we've seen with other clubs, where suddenly they they uh, the club falls into other hands and they don't own the, the ground, you know. So yes, I, I you know I, I think some kind of regulation around that would make a lot of sense. I mean, look, I I'm personally very open minded about what comes out of this review. I think you know we've had some strong hints about what will come out and the type of models, um, and I don't think it will be what Gary Neville wants, which is effectively like you know completely even. Um, sharing of the money that football um, generates, um, I, you know, and, and hey, I might even support that um, if it came with sensible financial controls uh, mm. that stopped football kind of eating itself, uh, which it does because, you know, you had 20 teams in a league and four leagues, uh, everyone's going to compete with each other. The incentive mm. there is to is to take as many risks as possible, you know. And um, so, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of good could come out of this. And I don't think there is, personally, I don't think there is one model that... Um, that is the right one because we've seen challenges. You know, we've we see challenges in Germany. We see a you know, Bayern Munich fantastically successful, yeah. uh, Borussia Dortmund almost yeah. as success, not quite, but almost. Um, but down the league structure, there's an awful lot of mess. Um, both but financial, it, bad running yeah. in clubs that isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. And in, and as you mentioned, Real Madrid and Barcelona, utterly shamefully, the presidents there thought they owned the club. I mean, if you listen to Perez, he still think and all the leaked audio. He he thinks he owns the club in the worst kind of way. Well, sadly, you know, sadly, that's you know, those those are at least in name fan owned and they are member owned. But you know, that's the system they have, which doesn't really allow for for the proper democracy that is meant to be there to flourish. But look, in terms of regulation, you know, I, I mean, ultimately, um, 
And my preference is for anything that's going to increase the ability of clubs to listen to their fans and incorporate them into decision making to ensure that engagement has, um, you know, that, that that it's properly underpinned, that it's permanent, um, that it doesn't disappear with an owner's preference. You know, a new owner decides they want to do something different and they decide they don't want to listen to those fans anymore. Um, you know, all of that. When it comes to the financial and sort of, for, you know, wider organisational regulation, you know, from a personal perspective, I think, you know, you, you've you got what you've got to what I would always acknowledge is that, that engagement will only go so far. What engagement is not going to do is solve the long term financial problems and the problems of, of poor organisation. And I think also, you know, and it is the clubs that have hamstrung themselves quite often is, you know, a lot of the stuff that would le- that would help them to learn how to do f- engagement better anyway, it's hard to share because they don't want the money spent on that. They want the money from the broadcast central the central broadcast contracts and other mar- and other income. They want as much of that as they can. So leagues, the EFL in particular, you know, they'll find it very difficult to be able to say train, you know, provide training and education and and stuff on on how to to run a football club that's open and engaged with their fan base. You know, so this is a vast, it's a vast, I mean, you know, we could spend hours and hours and hours and just looking at engagement. But in the end, um, if what happens is, is there's a bit of engagement and nothing really changes on the finances, you're going to have the same problems again in two or three years time because it's just a yeah. cycle. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, look, it's a real pleasure having you on. Uh, the pod Thank this week on. and uh, glad glad we could talk about this um uh, i might give you a buzz after that fan-led review comes out and see uh, see how we react to that and see yeah. whether that yeah. i think that's going to make a difference but you know um thanks for the work you do i think i do think it's important indexes do matter you know sim- as simple as just publishing a table gets uh, gets people thinking and that's the first step along the journey so Indeed. um yeah thanks for being on good to chat to you um Good luck for the new season with uh, Wimbledon. Yeah, um, yeah very you optimistic, know. but there you yeah, go. very optimistic. We all, um, we all start off optimistic in in July and June and July, and then come April or May. Well, let's see, eh? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see with United. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, there are some signs that perhaps uh, no, finally have a director of football, maybe making some sensible decisions, at least with the compartmentalised part which is on the pitch. Um, The rest of it I'm not so sure about. Um, Anyway, um, thanks a lot. Have a great one and um, speak to you soon. Thank you.